Hello and welcome to this week's Statsborn Podcast with me, James York, and... Ted Knutson. We are talking transfer bollocks. Um, okay. Excellent. Is that not the right pronunciation? Uh, that's not bad. I did just correct, correct your pronunciation for something, but... Uh, <laughs> James, has been, James has been telling me that I'm going to offend all of the, the ang- Anglia uh, fans that we have on the podcast. And I was like, well, we have lots of Americans that listen, and people on the continent. People will work out you're American, Ted. They'll... they'll, they'll <laughs> Just one small slip, and then they'll know, and that'll be. They're it. always surprised, and in <laughs> fact, when I when I first got involved in in football, so I was like, "You have the wrong accent for this business." I was like, "Well, I'll do my best to overcome it." <laughs> That's the spirit. Anyway, right, <laughs> we have got yeah transfer transfer bollocks uh, as per usual to start things off. Um, big transfer in Spain. Big transfer in Spain. Was it a loan? I think it was a loan, wasn't it? But odd transfer in Spain. I think was because one out of left field that we could start off with it was Kevin Prince. Boateng uh, or Michael Jackson uh, yeah it was awesome that <laughs> his moves I'd, really I'd, really good I'd never seen that before he's <laughs> very good yeah. signing for that alone but yeah he's um he's rolled up at, at Barcelona to the surprise of all uh, probably probably even more surprising than last year's Paulinho transfer um, out, when he came out of China and spent some time there and um, yeah we had Mike had a little look of it and wrote about it on the site because yeah it was definitely one definitely a curious one I poked around in the data just trying to find like something something extra um, I got some like little kind of scrappy kind of usage thing going on and he was he was he was not quite standout but he was like quite positive there for like generating uh, shots and kind of uh, key passes and that kind of thing for, for his old team you don't usually hear James struggle this much in order to find positives about players or negatives or just like you know a straight answer and it feels like you're digging on this one well it was it was kind of like because you know Mike had a look I think it was Mike's general kind of con- consensus answer was like yeah I'm not sure about this one I don't really get it and um yeah so I kind of like took it upon myself to look a little bit more and I didn't get a lot further really so it's um it's curious it's curious as to why an you know an aging kind of well I guess he's a forward now he's always he's spent time in midfield I think people just think of him as a kind of like rotation like backup option which is obvious but yeah I don't know it's just it's just an odd signing, really, Ted. Any thoughts? Well, you're a former... Well, he's a former Spurs man. You, you must have a crystallized, strong opinion. <laughs> yeah, you, you know what? Like, someone wrote... I think it was in Mike's article. It was like, former Spurs man. And I just had a blank. I was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> I'd forgotten all about that. He only played a handful of games some years ago and then kind of obviously came good, came good elsewhere. Um, the thing I know him most for is uh, knocking Michael Ballack out of the, the 2010 World Cup with that... Uh, what well, was a pretty nasty tackle. <laughs> I don't recall that, but yeah. I mean, this is this is the thing. He's not a guy you tend to think about <laughs> very often. He's kind of like drifted into into kind of um, history, really. Buried at Sasso, Sassuolo in uh, Italy, and now he's now he's like you know. I can't imagine you'll start many games. I imagine you'll get a few kind of hold up the ball kind of late on minutes um, in quietly games. My perspective. I'm baffled, and I have nothing useful to add. So there you go. <laughs> well, apologies, all fans that were expecting a little bit more from this section. But <laughs> it's... well, I, I, Paulinho, we kind of understood last year. Paulinho was a good addition. So, like, give them full credit for that one. It was a weird one coming back from China. Um, you know, he did actually perform pretty well for Barcelona and fit in, you know, largely just fine. 
Prince Boateng, maybe they're trying to recapture that type of magic with you know, a similar goal scorer or potential goal scorer as an eight. I don't know. I didn't mind uh, Paulinho because you know, despite the, his kind of like tr- what was considered a trouble time at Tottenham, I, I think I I felt like he's I, I saw a bigger picture with him and he was he was quite useful. He he was kind of behind his expected goals and that kind of thing, which is never a good thing for to win win fans over and such. But you know, he was that kind of unique kind of slightly energy box-to-box kind of midfielder who could also just sit if you wanted him to. He, he was pretty versatile. You'd give him that. So, uh, But yeah, coming out of China was just an odd one. And obviously he's now back in China, which you know, continues the slight oddness. Um, yeah, there we go. Um, what else have we got transfers-wise? More fun transfers. Well, uh, we'll go to this because I think this is a fun rumour. Uh, <laughs> Balotelli may be uh, interesting West Ham. Um uh, who might want to step in ahead of uh, Marseille to give that guy one more chance? This West Ham are running their some running some of their transfers seem quite nice, and then other ones, it still feels a bit like you're going for those name signings, aren't you? Te- teams gazumping other teams for Mario Balotelli in 2019. Like, if, if you're looking for, for oddities, uh, you, you tell yourself three years ago, everything since that time has been strange. But this one is, like, particularly strange. Um, yeah, I know Nice have been looking to, to sort of, you know, ship him out. He's looking for his next contract. Um, I'm not sure that I would buy him. He hasn't scored any <laughs> goals this season, Ted. This seems like a, a hindrance for a striker. <laughs> He's still racking up the shots, though. Good old well, Mario. Yeah, um... Uh, again, perplexed. I think is a is, <laughs> is a solid solid take on this one. We can't explain everything in football. Some shit's just weird. Where are these shots coming from? Well, yeah, there's quite a few. There's... Ooh, 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 that's a great segue. Where are the shots coming from? Should we talk about Gonzalo Higuain now? We can, yeah, we can go. To, I'll just quickly finish on Balotelli. That like the, the, he was he was the absolute poster boy for shot volume versus expected goals as, as a kind of like yeah we should look at the expected goals because he always had loads of shots but most of them are crap from miles out and getting blocked except at Liverpool where he actually had good shots and just couldn't score yeah again another guy getting <laughs> hammered for, for for being behind their expected goals it's just not a good you want to win fans over you need to score you you need to score goals and not be miles behind your expected goals so yeah Higuain that seems to be looks like it's happening Ted I think he's off to off to Chelsea by the looks after half a season in Milan and we've got some like you know, if you look at his general production, it seems to be down over the years from a, a, a great height uh, from his time at Madrid and early years in Italy. Last couple of seasons, though, not so, not so sharp. So we wanted to look into this a bit more, and also like constantly getting asked by Chelsea fans, <clears throat> "What do you think of this?" And I've been fairly cautious on responding. Just you know, first of all, I want to see if the deal had gone through. Uh, I'm not sure it has. Uh, <laughs> so I was talking to somebody uh, who I won't name earlier today. And I was like, can you fail a medical for body fat? <laughs> if, you, if, you're, if your body fat percentage is like, you know, 15, like, is that going to fail you as a striker? I don't know. It's, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's possible, one would presume. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm sure you can. Like, there are definitely some clubs who be like, you're not in the same shape that we thought you were. So you have to go back. But, um, so yeah, allegedly taking his medical today. And the question is, can he solve, you know, will he help solve Sorry Ball? 
Um, no one really has an answer to that, but we certainly have answers on, you know, why has Iguain's goal scoring fallen off? Uh, some people would say he moved to a lesser team than Napoli and and Juventus, and and that's that's true. Uh, AC Milan have not been you know quite at those heights and and don't have the talent in the in the squad, but it's it's a trend that's like super concerning. And you looked at it a little more this morning. Yeah, I I think you can you can pretty much partition um, partition the start of last season as. Um, as the kind of like end of end of what you want to see from Higuain. Well, before then, he's got so many shots from like uh, from the penalty spot inwards. You know, he's crashing the six-yard box. He's got all these good shots that you want for, you want your striker to to get on the end of and um, acquire, and w- will inevitably create lots of goals from. And start of last season at Juve, it's just like hmm. Where did those shots go? They're not. They don't seem to exist quite as, uh, quite as frequently. And uh, this season, it's pretty much the same. You know, there's there's some shots in there, but there's a huge kind of like swathe of uh, shots kind of behind the penalty spot, kind of 15, 18 yards out, and a lack of those those kind of easy kind of chances closer in. Now, age and fitness are all kind of factors that play into this. And I remember looking at Ronaldo at one point, thinking that he wasn't. He was maybe not crashing the box uh, quite, quite well, crashing the six-yard box quite as effectively in his dotage. And um, this is it. You know, you lose if you if you lose half a yard of half a yard of pace, to use the old terminology. Um, <laughs> getting 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 on the end of these uh, these kind of like high percentage chances, really deep into the pitch, evidently uh is going to become more difficult and that's not not the kind of asset you want to lose although it is probably an asset that lots of um older strikers do lose so you know when the goals dry up that's probably a quite a useful kind of thing to look at to it's to it, that trending is scary though right like we look at his shot map for this year mm-hmm. and even last year and you definitely see a guy that is losing some uh, of what what he had, and he he was exceptional before. So like, be totally clear, he was one of the best center forwards in the world. All around game, exceptional, uh, scoring in, in difficult leagues, scoring with different teams. Like that, Napoli were fairly unfancied, uh, you know, before the sorry came along and Iguani was there. And then he had like this ninety million release clause, and and Juve were like, well, we'll pay that. Uh, we'll we'll pay that to like steal him away from from our biggest rivals, and they did. Um, and then, like, you get the next bit where they buy Cristiano Ronaldo <laughs> and, uh, for, for an even more massive, like, stupidly large amount of money, and the pay is huge. And then the question becomes, what happens to Higuain, uh, who also left Real Madrid uh, when Cristiano Ronaldo was there? Um, and he ends up at, at AC Milan. Um, I was told by somebody who's, who's pretty well in the know recently that his pay package is enormous. Now, not hugely surprising. Juventus are, are quite a big club and can afford sort of Premier League level pay packages. But I was told that it might be so big this season that the top three pay per week players in the Premier League will be Alexis Sanchez, Mesut Ozil, and, and Higuain, which would be pretty amazing. Wow, that's, that's three guys that are really getting the best out exciting of right yeah <laughs> those are names that are lighting the the leagues on fire at the moment it's such i mean it's a, it's kind of inevitable that you know older players get get them that get the biggest contracts because you know they've got a history that they can sell and that you know they're obviously in demand at some at some point but i don't know it's just 
It, it, it doesn't quite equate with like production and output and likely output in the future, does it? So I don't well, know. We've been talking a lot about this, and I think I, I followed up on it with some stuff from Arsenal. Like We talked quite a bit about Arsenal last week. We'll have a little more because we did it pre-Mislintat leaving. Um, but like the mistake factor in these big pay packages, and also uh, players are, are more and more likely these days, and, and this was something we've been predicting for ages, that they'll see down their contracts to get more leverage for the next pay. Um, but you got to be really careful about those later years of the contract because, you know, in some cases you're writing it off and, and fans don't care about this. Like fans just want to see, you know, let's sign the good players. Uh, money grows on trees. There's, there's no finite amount. But then we see it start to bite with even, you know, clubs like Arsenal, certainly clubs like Everton, where they're like, there's only so much money to go around. And we've, if we have a bunch of average players that are overpaid, we can't move them on. Hey, no one wants them for, for the prices that we want to move them for, or they don't want to absorb their contracts. And this is true even with the superstars. The The later years of their contracts end up costing you an awful lot, and you need to be very careful about managing those. Yeah, it's, it's difficult. Um, I've, been, I've started following NBA a little bit recently, and I think the same problem exists there. You've got the, the like, older players that are like <laughs> close, to, close to a cliff or just kind of edging towards a cliff, and they're, they're sitting there on huge contracts because that's the you know the nature of things and yeah football's no different in that regard it's um it's an interesting balance to to get right because you don't want to lose your star players when they're 26 27 but you might want to flip them when they're 28 29 30 so yeah it's um we 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 speak against the classic buy a 28 year old or sign a 28 year old for really large money <laughs> quite regularly like this is bad and it's not bad necessarily right now but it's probably bad when he's 31 32 33 it costs manchester city as well like they had a period where you know back in the early days of stats bomb pugsley and i were like "Ooh, uh, these these don't look great like i'm i'm not sure that i like these deals honestly at all uh we think that they'll bite and people are like oh this is ridiculous you're not professionals at this and we're like We've seen this happen in other sports. We have a pretty good idea of how this works. And yeah, obviously later years. Also, I used to get chirped. Um, like the Daryl Murphy deal a couple summers ago, uh, he moved to Nottingham Forest. And we looked at the data. It was like, he really was not great his last year at Ipswich. And then he had a, a good little run in a very, very good um, Newcastle team. And then... He started out hot at Forest, and I said that it was the type of deal that would potentially get a director of football fired if like new owners came in or something like that, because um, you know you signed a 34-year-old to like a three-year deal. Who was competing against them? They paid the transfer fee. It wasn't like a, a free. I think they paid two 2.5 million, and then whatever his wage package was on top of that, uh, his, his his production already wasn't great. You know, he, he got a little bit. It was nice that he went to Newcastle and had that period, but it's a it's just a huge question as to like you need to be careful about your late term deals. And um, you know sometimes you give them rolling one years where you know should we renew this or not? And for that first period of time, I had a couple of journalists that are like this is ridiculous. Like you know no one would get fired for this, and and then they would I would have people in my mentions, Forest fans as well, who uh, who would chirp me every single time Daryl Murphy scored. At the end of that season, he was basically, you know, a 0.28 to 0.3 expected goals and goals per game guy outside of his penalties. And then, you know, hasn't played very much since then. So they stopped it. And and it just goes back to saying, you know, make smart decisions. Be very aware of the age curve and, and don't tie uh, older players down to long-term deals unless you know very specifically that they're in great shape and they're going to continue taking care of themselves. Yeah, it's... Um... 
it's pretty yeah pretty common problem so Iguain, uh you know it's a loan it doesn't look like it's a, a long-term deal right now um you know possibly a an option to buy not necessarily an obligation to buy these are two different things um you know, do we think he'll be successful in the premier league i think this is the funny thing i think well i don't know obviously um Giroud's kind of more of a, a kind of like I don't know, gets his head on things kind of striker. Morata just it, for whatever reason, uh, you know, just didn't seem to work in uh, in this system. He he might work okay in this system, but again, like just just as a finisher, if, if it depends. I can I can just envisage you know cutbacks and him being in this position that he can he can. Acquire, you know, by the penalty spot, behind the penalty spot, and he's quite a good finisher. Always has been from that kind of, that kind of area. But like, it's it's you know, you don't imagine, you don't envisage some kind of like Man City style, propping up two yards out at the back post to get on the end of a uh, kind of like a flatter cross. Um, I'm I'm intrigued I'm, by it, and I think that if Iguain decided to get into really good shape again, and if 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 Sari is the Iguain whisperer, then. You know, maybe there's a chance that this works out pretty well, but you know, you'd think that over a summer, it's it's the middle of the season right now. I'm not sure he's gonna you know shape up really fast. Maybe there's like a, a Rocky style montage of of him running around uh, you know the the center of London and stuff like. That. <laughs> we'll see this on Chelsea's Chelsea's uh, social media soon. I'm yeah, I'm I'm on the fence. I would like to see it happen. I would still really like Iguain, but I'm fairly I lean towards negative. Yeah, I mean, if it was a buy, if it was a purchase, you'd you'd wholly lean towards negative. The fact that it's a try before you buy kind of thing means that well, you can you can kind of sit on that a little bit. Right now, what what else have we got to here? Right, it's something I've noticed. You know, we're trying to do a bloody transfers podcast here, and you know what? You know what? You know what? The the big the big successful teams, your Man Cities, your Liverpools, your Tottenham's. <laughs> They're not buying any. Ah. They're not buying any players, Ted. <laughs> All right, this is mainly about City and Liverpool. Um, One of those teams is not like the other teams. <laughs> yeah, this is this is a case in point. There are rumours. There are rumours in the forums that Tottenham might go. Well, yeah, because the whole fucking play. squad is injured. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they they really should sign. I don't know someone for some reason. But yeah, the, the, the general point is like, I think it's reasonably admirable if we get to if we get to January. Because in the old days, it was always like, look, you've got a chance to sign players. It's, you know, use your chance to sign players to sign players. And it feels like, specifically City and um, Liverpool have got to the stage where it's like, right, we'll do all our business in the summer, mainly, <laughs> and that's fine. Now we've, you know, we've, we've created uh, depth in our squad. We know where we're at. And they both do have pretty... Um, balanced, strong squads. You know, it's an interesting question. Like, where, who are the next players that City would go and buy? Who are the next players that Liverpool would go and buy? You'd obviously imagine City would need to replace Fernandinho or, you know, get some depth there. Um, uh, they said nobody's coming in, though. No, yeah, no, I know. This is what I mean. Long term for the summer, you know, and and beyond. But the fact is, they're not look. It, it, apparently, it seems like they're they're not interested in in the market in in January, and I think that's an interesting kind of. Uh, a kind of hint towards planning and uh, you know a degree of efficiency. Obviously, they're at the top of the market, so they can you know bide their time a little bit and you know get get the right players. But the fact that the fact that neither of those teams seem to be particularly active, or even Man United, Man United's interesting because 
there isn't really much talk for you know. Obviously, Mourinho went out, um, and you know, Man United. Oh, you can argue a lot, a lot of cases for their defence needs strengthening. But this little good run they've been on is almost like shut everyone up towards any ideas that they need new players. And they have got a lot of players, and you know, trying to fit it all together is is diff- uh, you know a difficult thing. But you know, even Man United don't seem to be um, linked with any kind of uh, transfer of any um, kind of strength if Mourinho was still there you imagine they would have been <laughs> well possibly but I think Man United are still and allegedly Arsenal now too are, are both searching for director of football slash sporting director uh, roles and you want to be careful not to, to sort of overload or, or take away budget in the future if, if like it isn't going to have a, a huge you know swing for you now the interesting part about Man United versus before when uh, before Ole Gunnar Solskjaer came in, is they, they've got a chance to get into the Champions League. But also, he's had such good success with the current squad. <laughs> like, do you really need anything? And and probably right back they need. Um, I would suspect, like, Darmian has been rumored to go out. Uh, yeah, fullbacks, fullbacks at Manchester United uh, are a bit antique at this point. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, maybe they need that. Um, and it's not that hard to, to sort of surface those type of players. You might have to pay for them, obviously. Uh, you know, Everybody charges Manchester United as much as they think they can get away with. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's intriguing. Like, you know, when we talked recently, Chelsea are on 47 points, Arsenal 44, Manchester United 44, a little bit of wiggle and goal difference. So there is a, they've crept up to a race for the, uh, the last Champions League spot. And, and Chelsea fans are kind of a, in a bit of crisis or, or like frustrated because of this. I don't know what to say. Like I had heard from people in my DMs that there may be an actual transfer ban, not just an academy ban for the summer. There was some concern about that. Not that there will be, but there was concern about it. Um, so if they do need to bring people in, that was one reason why the, the Pulisic uh, price was so high. And we'll see. But yeah, I, I think that you're right. The smart teams have stability. Uh, the three teams that you mentioned, actually, in Liverpool, City, and Tottenham, also have managers that usually it takes them a good while to break in new talent, even when they come in in the summertime. Uh, you know, Klopp was quite cautious in bringing in Keita and Fabinho and giving them playing time. They've done fairly well since that time. Although people are, are you know, frustrated about Keita's lack of goals, we think that he's he's playing a very different role than he would have in the past, where he's he's much more of a, a defender destroyer. His pressure volume is pretty good, and he's also a cycler of the ball. His his XG buildup looks really strong in that in that squad. Um, so yeah, it's a it's a tricky one, but I th- I think that those coaches or those managers and understanding that you know they will take players to to get into their style and for them to feel comfortable might also have an impact on that too. Yeah, and they're all they're all very much entrenched. You know, close in their ages, Guardiola a couple of seasons, to, you know, Pochettino the longest of the lot. You know, they've all they're all kind of like bedded into their various styles and you know the the way they kind of run the club and. You know, none of these none of these managers have, have are seeing their job under threat whatsoever. Obviously, Arsenal new manager season, Man United just flipped managers, Chelsea new manager this season. So definitely, you're kind of more 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 in transition, just kind of conceptually as like what they are and what they're doing as as clubs. Um, obviously, Tottenham with transfers is is a kind of like unique uh, situation. But yeah, certainly Liverpool, and Man City, uh, very kind of stable in you know how they how they're looking at players and how how they're building their squads, and you know it's 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 well you can't say it's not working for them, can you? It's, it's looking fine. We're going to hint on um, Mislintat has been announced to leave 
uh, leave Arsenal as the head of recruitment and there's stories around uh, who's going to replace him I don't know this Kaz Kajijau Kagiga I don't know this guy he's been linked with them uh, Monchi's been linked with them and I think I'm, I do wonder if that's a that's wishful linking with him or, or just one of those you know people putting two and two together in the Emery link um, but yeah it's uh, interesting how that experiment has has you know, not panned out. Um, we'll never—I don't think we'll ever truly know who 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 Mislin Tat was really responsible for. It certainly felt like he was he was uh, responsible for the link-ups with um, the old Dortmund players that that kind of arrived during his tenure. Um, but also young players too. You know, that used to be his his expertise. Like Mavropanos, I think, was possibly one that was listed. Um, but yeah, it's it's impossible to tell. And even when you you talk to people sort of inside of the club, like I I said from my own experience, there were certain players that we signed at Brentford and Michelin, which like I didn't know who to apportion the the sort of yeah yeah claim you, to him. You did. You said that. You said that the other day. It? It's like <laughs> you know, the good everyone wants to claim the ones that do well. <laughs> Success has a million fathers. That but, was my uh, guy. That was my failures <laughs> orphans. <laughs> yeah. So. Uh, yeah, a bit of a mystery, but I think as much as anything, you know, just just the idea around that, you know, the more restructuring, you, you felt felt like Arsenal had kind of, you know, felt like they were committed to an idea of like Mislintat and um, Raúl Salehis, is that his name, the the Spanish guy, sure. as um, you know, a, a kind of team that would work together going forward, and it's just, it I tell you what, it reminds me of, I mean, in in. You know, slightly different terms, but it reminds me of when Paul Mitchell went to Tottenham, and it was like, right, that's it. Pochettino's got his guy from Southampton back. This is just going to work, and you know, this will. And you know, he didn't, whatever reasons, I don't know. He didn't last very long there, and he's ended up at Leipzig. But um, all these people in football are humans, whether it's it's players or or people at the top, and. You know, they, they might have different visions for how things work out. Like, you go into an organization in football, you know nothing. You know nothing about how it really works until you're there on the ground. And so it's just like a regular job. It's not a surprise to see sometimes you wind up in a perfect spot that maybe you didn't understand. But other times it seems like a perfect spot. And then you get there and you're like, oh, well, things have changed. Like, you know, Gazidis is gone. Maybe he was part of the reason that I came and I interacted with him regularly. Um, you know, some of the personalities are challenging around me. And so, like, I'm going to go do something else. And it's just like everybody else's job. It's just that, you know, you've got contracts and it's a lot more public. Um, I, I heard a fun thing, fun bit of speculation. I guess probably on Twitter has been doing the same thing where uh, <laughs> transfer rumors, but now involving Sven Mislintat himself. Right. Uh, is he gonna is he gonna end up at Dortmund? You know, should uh, should Chelsea and Manchester United be looking at him? Mitchell's name has been floated uh, as a Manchester United contender as well, although I'm not sure if that's like from his agent or from from people that are intrigued by it because it's difficult to, again to know like what his track record really looks like. Um, yeah, it's a it's always a interesting. We we have <laughs> oddly enough we've talked about this historically where the the undervalued people in football and the ones that, that probably should be more aggressively recruited and headhunted are the ones that aren't involved directly with the pitch. Now, obviously, coaches are part of this, and you should be doing a lot of due diligence on, on your coaches and, and basing things off of objective information as well. But people like you know the good recruitment people or the good data analysts or whatever, like those people bring a lot of value and and probably because they're not aggressively recruited, uh, fairly cheap to to get versus their what they really bring to the table. 
Yeah, like I said, there's probably a lot of guys that are, uh, you know just don't have the same profile as, um, as as others that you know do a lot of solid work kind of quietly, quietly for teams. In fact, or those second too. coaches, right? Like the the set piece coaches that are actually good. There aren't many of them in the world. Someone, I was talking to somebody in the industry um, last week, and they were saying that yeah, there are like 900 professional coaches in football and about 20 uh, data scientists. <laughs> and right. and I was like, yeah, that's gonna change. And and it it goes back to you know we're I've I've said publicly I think we're gonna run out of nerds soon uh, for football. Uh, there aren't enough ones that are are sort of trained up that we when ones that come out of school that are quite young, but you don't have ones that are seasoned. And the same thing happens in the tech industry too, where you know there are like a hundred thousand people that graduate from like code camps and, and with, uh, you know, four year degrees in, in programming degrees and computer science and such, uh, in the United States. And like, that's enough to feed, you know, one or two of the biggest companies. They, they, they're hiring something like 40 to 50,000 a year in that number of people. So yeah, it's, it's interesting to see like everything change. Football's in the process of changing too. I think, yeah, I'd agree with relation to football, the kind of balanced skill set to have a kind of like understanding of, um, like analytics or stats in any regard, and uh, I don't know the ability to translate it into like a kind of uh, accessible football format. Obviously, you know you need teams of people uh, working on this. Ideally, you know if you're a club, you get a few people involved, and maybe the skills come from a group rather than you know an individual. But at the same time, an individual that has a kind of broad skill set around you know kind of like analytics, um, statistical kind of background. Uh, yeah, I think like as you say that it's it's something that's probably there probably aren't as many of them as you think. You know, a lot of people have got skills about like, know about tactics or they know about the know about the stats or they know just about football in general or players or something. But you know, try and find an <laughs> an all in one who can <laughs> translate it all into uh, a kind of accessible package that you can you know sit in a boardroom and talk to people about. There, there's probably not so many of them about anyway. Well, I I, I talked to to some a classic name that I won't mention here, but um, we were talking about skill sets and he and I both came to the conclusion that like the translator role is probably the rarest and he's been involved in this a lot longer than I have. Um, and it, it's being able to talk to the nerds and ask questions from uh, you know, a sport perspective, but then also being able to talk to like all the people on the sports side or the owner side and translate all these different dynamics and ways of perspectives that they might know or not know is the most challenging role he felt in in sort of sports, broader sports analytics. Um, and, and I don't think that's wrong. I also think that uh, the most the trickiest thing to find right now is somebody who could build this type of team from scratch. Uh, you can find a lot of younger people, very smart people, or people from different industries that you can put inside of a team that already has some strength there. Like, say you've got like a three, four, or five person team. Like, that's not so hard. But if you if you go and you needed to to build your analytics group from scratch, which many of these football clubs will need to do, like that's a really challenging first hire to make that can then make the subsequent hires. Yeah, and that's a fair point. Yeah, because you need you know some degree of seniority in in. You know, this is it. Someone who can sit in a boardroom and talk to owners and managers, like, and be listened to, but at the same time, you know, be able to get the, their hands dirty to some degree, with, you know, the, the kind of stats and, you know, the nitty gritty of of what the role will will have, and it, it, talk to scouts, everything. I mean, yeah, you know, you've worked in this, you understand, you know, the 
pressures and dynamics of this uh, as well as anyone but yeah, like you say I think it's it probably is a little bit of a um, uh, under not undervalued role but an under under catered for role at least at this stage we'll see a change and and you know it's it goes back to kind of when when Moneyball premiered and the the offer that John Henry who some of you might know from football uh, made to Billy Bean to try and lure him over to um, to the Boston Red Sox like that type of number had never been paid to a high level executive before it's it's common in business to to be able to you know toss around you know, six to twelve million for a, a chief executive which is basically what these guys are they run your team they run the the football or the baseball or the the basketball side of your team um, you know that'll that'll change in, in time and you know these giant coaches that uh, you know have what Mourinho's pay package was something like twenty million a year. Um, you, directors of football barely make you know half a million in a lot of cases across the Premier League, so it's a it's a bit of a disparity. And the impact that the director of football has long term on your the value of your your club versus you know certain coaches that are going to be there two three years pretty interesting. We'll see how it goes as time moves on. But anyway, right, uh, what are we going to look at next? We're going to have a quick look at a couple of leagues that we think were interesting. Um, we'll start with... Um, Lally. Hang on. Go on. I'm going to preface this with a question. Go on. Does XG tell us everything, James? Um, Is it perfect? No. <laughs> it tells, All right. It tells us a lot, but sometimes it can be a little bit weird. <laughs> that's my that's my preface to this. And uh, the, the weirdest league uh, this season, for a variety of reasons, um, is certainly La Liga. La Liga is um, normally, was ever so used to Real Madrid, Barcelona, probably Atletico, maybe one other team, crushing it on the XG, rising to the top, and everything just being straightforward and, and normal. And smaller teams with you know little stadiums and low budgets sitting at the bottom. And that's not untrue this season, obviously. Uh, Barcelona, Atletico Madrid, and Real occupy the first three places, and you know smaller teams are at the other other end of the league in general. But if you look at the XG for this league, Barcelona have got the best XG in the league, and they are top. And then the rest of it, maybe Sevilla, you could argue, are in the, kind of in the <laughs> right place. And then the rest of it, <laughs> it's just bizarre. It really is it bizarre. Is. Like Af- Atletico look like they've got nothing going on. Well, Atletico have been spoofing this for a while. So Atletico are, are, are basically like the Lucien Favre slash, um, you know, steroided Sean Dyche version of <laughs> of XG in in Spain. But you'd like you you'd still expect a little more on the, on the front end than what they're showing. And you know, and even even I mean, we've got them down as roughly one one expected goal per game, four and against, give or take, and you know, the really flat profile. Uh, they take about as many shots as they concede as well, so it's not like there's there's something uh, weird skewing in there. And um, yeah, it's it's you just, I mean, what were they last season? I think they were they were like somewhat better, uh, not that much better. But it's you know they they kind of expected goal difference last season was point two five a quarter of a goal per game. This season it's just nothing. It's flat. So that's definitely you know a move. But their actual goal difference is seventeen, so not quite one a game. Yeah. They're funny like that, but then you've got like Barcelona are like you know plus thirty five in goal difference after twenty games. We have them at about half that as well. So like Barcelona look odd. Now they're gonna look odd. You know you're super talented. You've got Lionel Messi. You almost expect that. Like you know the the 
the baseline expected goals models are not going to cover player skill. We're actually working on, on something that can improve that, and that's Derek's project after uh, ball progression. Um, basically, just a, a Bayesian skill-weighted XG, uh, both from the attacker side and the, and the goalkeeper side. And I think that'll be, that'll be pretty cool. We both think that that has like, interesting applications. But yeah, the, the rest of this league is just crazy in terms of like what's going on. Alaves are still fifth. Yeah, <laughs> it doesn't have anything to do with XG. Alaves are fifth. <laughs> yeah, but if you look at their expected goals, you'd be like, "Well, these, this is a relegation t- candidate." Yeah, they're close to relegation in the in the numbers. Second best, um, second best team by like some margin, according Valencia. to Valencia. Valencia, who Valencia has been crushing teams on the expected goals lately and ending up with draws. <laughs> yeah, just I mean that's it. There's a few teams in this league that have got just so, you know Valencia got loads of draws, eleven draws. Atletico Bilbao have got eleven draws. Um, Villarreal at the bottom have got nine draws. Uh, Girona, Girona have got nine draws. <coughs> It's, it's just it's bizarre I, I've rarely seen a, a league line up in, the, in this fashion and especially one of the big five leagues big five leagues have tended historically to be really quite reliable with regards um, expected goals and how it's all kind of how it all kind of fits together um, so we I mean given I have some history in, in looking at this type of thing we expect Levante to sort of creep down towards relegation really soon and they're not far off they're only three points above I think yeah, their, their defense is significantly worse than everyone else's, according to this. So, oh no, they're, they're six points, so they got they got a win in their in their last match. So, like, they're they're still above that, but we think that they'll gradually creep down towards the the relegation spaces pretty badly. And we think that Valencia, you know, by the end of the season, assuming that they continue to be like this, will be pretty close to the Champions League spots. But we don't know. Um, but so there's another league that that we also wanted to talk about. We brought it up early in the season that also is fairly crazy and i think one of the interesting things about this type of analysis um you know having having been in this industry for for quite a while and also the gambling industry is that when teams are pretty close in rating uh or, or like general strength uh talent uh manager uh sort of insight etc like you'll see a lot more variation in the league table versus xg there's a lot of you know little lucky things or not just lucky but you know edges that people are able to to pull off and they're not facing you know super elite teams all the time like the Premier League has a lot of elite teams so it's probably a little tougher if you just had a table of like the bottom seven all the time you would see a lot of variation inside of that and you see you know there there are plenty of times where you know you'll you'll have one or two teams unexpectedly overperform quite a bit versus the other ones it could be luck or it could be they found holes whatever um Spurs constantly putting up good results that's probably a lot of good coaching and a lot of talent versus their expected goals and that you that's not unexpected the model works mostly off of averages so the second league here that we mentioned earlier is league one in england um at the at the beginning of the year can you say the name for me james because i'm going to get it wrong peter peter right <laughs> peter burrow peter peter <laughs> this is the thing we got to before we got to Got to conceal the fact you're American. <laughs> so, so P- Peterborough have uh, have been creeping down the table, and they were quite high up. Uh, you know, we had Sheffield Wednesday, and we talked about the championship early in the season. We were like, they are going to plummet. There's no way that they're going to continue the results at, um, at at this level of of sort of like negative XG. And they have. They they were definitely rocketing down the table. Peterborough have done a little better. Uh, but still, you know, they're like in and around the, the playoff spots, but not the, the best team in the league. Uh, we have like the best three teams is like Barnsley, Luton and, and Portsmouth. Uh, the, the, the documentary 
team is is still up near the top, but man, the the numbers do not love them. Sunderland, yeah, they're a team that's drawn a lot of games. Well, they've only lost two games all season, but yeah, they, it, their numbers just don't don't rate them at all, and haven't haven't at any point. So um, you can understand that they've slowed up, but they just have, they haven't started losing games yet. So you really would think that you know it might happen somewhere along the line that. Um, that the the lost losses would come in, but they haven't. So it's um... we are seeing the league table sort more towards the XG as well. Um, you know, there's some some teams that don't seem like they should be down near the bottom. Like Bristol Rovers still look decent. Oxford United look okay. They we also know that some of these have changed manager. <clears throat> Shrewsbury, did I get that one right? Yep. Okay, Shrewsbury, um, you know, are are probably better than their their league position states, and then you know, teams like Scunthorpe look like they're a lot worse. But so like there there are these weird leagues out there, and it, there's so much football played that from a statistical perspective, there will be weird things that happen. Like every year, in fact, uh, you know, whether it's someone scoring long range crazy goals or like a lot of long range goals, or having like a really long time where even an elite finisher like doesn't score goals compared to like how we would expect, those happen regularly, and it's just football, and it's part of the fun. Now I don't. I can't remember if it's Shrewsbury now. Not Shrewsbury. Shrewsbury. <laughs> and I, I don't. I don't even live that far away from it. It's about fifty miles north of it. But taming of the shrew. Oh, forget it. We, just, we shouldn't have gone down this road. It's going wrong. Coventry. There you go. You can't go wrong with that. No. Um, we yeah. can't even pronounce English words, people. <laughs> don't expect us to pronounce the foreign language. I mean, yeah, I mean, I've, 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 after chasing <laughs> you for, for Peterborough earlier on, I, I've, I've absolutely. Farted my way through this podcast with all sorts of mispronunciations for Spanish <laughs> names and whatever. So that was that's that's me taught. That is shut the hell up, right? <laughs> ah, we we haven't done this in a while, James. Well done, you you, you cracked me up. <laughs> anyway, anyway, we got what was it? We're going to yeah talk talk briefly about um yeah what we got going on with part of the company we've had an upgrade haven't we ted we've, we've we've got some new features that you wanted to mention in in oh yeah in our products mm. and stuff so uh, part of this came off the back that derek our, our data scientist derek yam posted uh, a list in um he he in america right now and he posted a list overnight in our in our slack channel and uh, there's some commentary like oh these are really interesting names really interesting names what who's this last name and it was about sort of um attacking ball progression type stuff uh, so it, it had players that you expect to see, like Salah, like Messi, like Raheem Sterling, like Ronaldo. And then who was the last name on the list? I think it was Jack Marriott, wasn't it? Who's, it was Jack Marriott. It's based on his la- on last season. He did get a move up a league. Um, so, you know, we can, you know, uh, qualify that with the fact that, you know, if, if he looks good on the numbers, he's already got his transfer. Uh, so that's that's fine. We're not giving him any secrets there. Um, but yeah, it's, it's interesting because you know, we, you know, Derek's building this building this model right now, which will hopefully help us understand a little bit more about how the ball moves around the around the pitch and the value of events uh, in in different locations. And we can, with a bit of luck, kind of integrate it into our into the work that we do. Um, it's. I mean, you've had you've you've had ideas around this for a long time. You've, you know, we're we're so busy. We've got you know million one projects on at any any given moment. So it's it's a case of prioritizing. And you know, we're quite pleased that we've got got to this stage and we're actually looking at this stuff now. So yeah, yeah. We I had this as a, as a priority for a long time, and we've actually had a lot of things like this where when we figured out that we were going to switch to our own data and then add the pressures inside of it, it was going to change everything. 
Right? Just how we analyze every element of the game, every facet of the game. And so we've now got this long list of stuff that we want to you know, incorporate pressure into. Um, and, and this was one of the elements. Uh, we'll talk a lot more about it when it comes out. But today we have a new release. And in that release is, is some cool stuff. Uh, you'll see a little bit of it on the site. Uh, and also like on our social as, as we go along. Uh, some of it's minor things like we, we've allowed at the request of our customers to do vertical um, passing networks and some verticality in, in like some different visualizations. Uh, we've sort of redone some of the color schemes on the passing networks to match up with what we did on the, the XG shop maps. Um, uh, let's see, there's the new keeper claimable stuff. So we released the goalkeeper module, uh, before Christmas, and there's lots of information there on how to uh, analyze goalkeepers. This one now kind of rates each incoming ball as the claimable and the claim probability. And you get to see like where keepers are strong or weak and, and the side by sides I think are, are really intriguing here. Yeah. You definitely, you get a real kind of flavor for, you know, the stay at home keeper versus, versus the opposite. And I, I don't think anyone's really kind of visualized that um, or kind of, you know, worked that into a visualization uh, previously. Um, it all just kind of extends the ideas around, you know, goalkeeping. And again, it's it's about creating a kind of balanced picture of understanding as much as you can about a player. I think it's just the same with all evaluations in relation to, to, to stats and football. It's, it's not a case of just grabbing generating one number and sitting on that and saying like right x is better than y it's all all about building a picture and and then integrating that into kind of more traditional processes as well but yeah this is you know quite quite excited about like what we've done there with um with the claimable stuff because it, it does kind of broaden the picture so to speak of of like you know what what is my keeper doing and how are they kind of integrating with um with possessions and stuff i mean and the, the work we talked about earlier will definitely kind of enable us to learn more about how goalkeepers are involved in build-up and how teams you know kind of integrate them or not as as we might see so yeah loads of things going on there it's, it's also it's shout good. out to our intern alex taylor who has done a lot of work on releasing some sort of league analysis tools um and uh inside of that is something that that we had kind of wanted to we'd poked around with for quite a long time but the ability to select how you've performed against like a set of different opponents and it's a flexible set so you know now you could look at say how has chelsea done against the bottom six teams or just against the power teams or whatever and uh and yeah it's just like giving you a little more flexibility and ways to to slice the apple uh when when it comes to analysis and hopefully they're easy straightforward tools yeah no credit credit where it's used done a good job with that it's, it's really quite a slick integration and um you know I, I always find it fascinating you know i've, I've put out charts before of, of uh, the big six versus you know the rest of the league and you know and vice versa just literally uh, you know results but being able to do that kind of thing and look at um actually yeah, performance metrics and you know potentially identify differences as, as teams play against different strength of teams is is a, quite a powerful tool i think and obviously it's set up for all leagues and all teams uh, yeah that's that's all good though ted um anything else to add there no i think that's it uh we're poking around with the idea of doing a live pod 
uh, <laughs> around the transfer <laughs> deadline. This is entirely based on whether whether it can be conceived and realized without any technical misery. So, uh, well, <laughs> I'm certain that as soon as I agree to do this, we'll end up bombarded by like two projects at the same time, and I'll just be like, "Sorry, canceled." But uh, we're at least considering the idea, partly at the bequest of, of our listeners. Uh, if you like the Stats Bomb podcast, please tell your friends. Uh, please, you know. Speak nicely about us when you get a chance. Um, And thank you very much for listening today. Okay, thanks, bye.